This is World Lutheran News Digest, an audio news magazine bringing you a look at significant events in worldwide Lutheranism. WLN Digest is produced through the facilities of Worldwide KFUO, a broadcast ministry of the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. Today on World Lutheran News Digest... I'm World Lutheran News Digest host Kip Allen. The nation was shocked in 2015 when undercover journalists with the Center for Medical Progress released videos of Planned Parenthood officials talking about harvesting aborted baby body parts for sale. The pro-abortion forces, including government officials, reacted with fury. Both criminal and civil charges were filed against the journalists. On Friday, February the 21st, journalist David DeLayden was arraigned in criminal court charged with multiple felonies related to releasing the videos. He faces up to 10 years in prison for the expose. Thomas More Society Attorney and Vice President Peter Breen is defending Delighton. He's my guest on today's World Lutheran News Digest. And now today's Fast Track. On Saturday, March 7th, hundreds of pro-life citizens from all across the country will be making a public stand for life. People from St. Louis, Chicago, Indiana, Virginia, Iowa, South Dakota, and more will be calling for an end to abortion with the third annual March on the Arch. The Cyanergy event begins at the last remaining abortion facility in the state of Missouri. More than 800 people marched in the event last year in St. Louis. Check-in begins at 11 a.m. The pre-march rally is at 2.30 p.m. The LCMS will have a strong presence at the march, including President Matt Harrison. Americans who do not identify as either a man or a woman would be able to choose a third non-binary gender option on their passport under a bill proposed by a House Democrat on Monday. The Gender Inclusive Passport Act, which is introduced by Representative Ro Khanna, would require State Department to create a gender-neutral option in a passport, passport card, or counselor report of a birth abroad and for other purposes. The State Department currently requires passport applicants to select either male or female on their applications. 15 states and Washington, D.C. currently include a non-binary gender designation on their identification cards. Some major airlines have said that they'll include gender-neutral booking option for customers as well. Against the backdrop of the fiscal year 2021 budget preparation season now underway, the Missouri Synod's Board of Directors received an unsettling report on the state of philanthropy in the United States at its February 7th meeting in St. Louis. Mark Hoffman, Executive Director of LCMS Mission Advancement, summarized how changes in U.S. tax laws and other forces are combining to put additional financial stress on nearly all nonprofit organizations, including, but not limited to, religious groups and churches. Charitable giving in the U.S. is now at its lowest point since the Great Recession. After dropping 1.8% in 2018, donations given to nearly all nonprofit types declined 7% through November of 2019. Concordia University Nebraska announced it's partnered with Concordia University Portland to become the preferred teach-out institute for Concordia Portland's online Master of Education programs. The agreement guarantees that all Concordia Portland students enrolled in an online MED program will be able to continue their academic pursuit without interruption, ensuring they complete their program with the best opportunity for an on-time graduation. Concordia Nebraska will honor each student's current tuition rate, including any scholarships. 
A CNN report on pro-life legislation described a baby who survived an abortion as a fetus that was born. Senators voted yesterday on pro-life legislation that aims to protect babies who survive botched abortions and are born alive, as well as legislation that would make abortions illegal after 20 weeks when the unborn baby can feel pain. Although a majority voted for the acts, they failed to reach the 60 votes needed to pass. World Lutheran News Digest will be back right after these messages. Hi, I'm Pastor Matt Youngblood-Clark from Ascension Lutheran in St. Louis. And I am Pastor Jolly John Lekumski from St. Paul's in New Athens and Trinity in Darmstadt, and we welcome you to listen to Wrestling with the Basics. Matt, 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 let go of me, man. No, it's not real wrestling. We're just talking about Bible issues. Oh, 9.05 Saturday mornings, 8.50 a.m. KFUO. This is World Lutheran News Digest. I'm Kip Allen, World Lutheran News Digest host. My guest today is Mr. Peter Breen, who's Vice President and Counsel for the Thomas More Society. And he is defending David Delighton of the Center for Medical Progress. Mr. Delighton has been charged with something like 10 felony counts. And on Friday, they, he, he and his uh, co-worker, Sandra Merritt, were arraigned. Mr. Breen, uh, for the sake of uh, our audience who may not understand what an arraignment is, could you say what it actually is? Well, the arraignment is where you formally enter your plea of not guilty or guilty after charges have been found to have some probable cause by a, a uh, the magistrate or the grand jury, which is the case in most states. In California, they have oftentimes will have a proceeding to a judge. And so we had something called a preliminary hearing. Uh, back at the end of last year, where we were able to present evidence. And the judge actually threw out about a third of the counts. Uh, but still, there were 10 remaining. Uh, and so we went uh, went into court, proudly pled not guilty. And we're going to continue to fight against these charges. Uh, but now, once you've entered that not guilty plea, then uh, you proceed towards uh, setting a trial and, and going from there. As I understand, uh, there are actually uh, nine felony charges right now, I believe. There were eight for, for recording in private, and I forget what the, what the ninth one was. And then I know there was a tenth one the attorney general tried to, tried to put in, but was this, this was after the preliminary hearing. Right. And so we had eight counts that were specific instances of recording. Uh, and, and it was alleged to be private, but of course, all of the recordings occurred either in public exhibit halls at, at abortion conventions or in public restaurants. So uh, we were fighting those very vigorously. The ninth count was a conspiracy count. It was kind of a catch-all, just saying, well, David and uh, uh, Sandra worked together uh, on, on, the, on the project. And, and uh, so it's really not, it doesn't add anything to go into the conspiracy. They threw in a tenth count for using a fake ID, which you're sitting there going, well, well, they didn't present the ID to anyone in government. They didn't do anything formal with it. And so I don't know how they could be charging them with a crime. But the, the, the more basic point is it was four and a half years ago. Uh, and so if they were going to charge uh, that crime, they had to do it within three years. So there's a clear statute of limitations. And, and the reason the attorney general didn't bring it up you know, many years ago was it's a bogus count anyway. So we are we, we filed a they call it a demur. It's like a motion to dismiss a preliminary motion to dismiss against that count. And so we are going to have that heard some point in the next couple of months. So hopefully we can get that one thrown out. But still, I mean, you're still looking at you know, whether it's nine or 10 felony counts. 
very serious. Uh, you've got a decade in San Quentin at risk just for having uh, done the public service of exposing the wrongdoing of the abortion industry. And what it showed was that Planned Parenthood and their affiliated organizations were actually harvesting baby organ parts for sale. And as I understand in the uh, trial before uh, on the civil on the civil side, there was never any dispute but that the that the videos were accurate. Well, it, it was something coming into this the, in the litigation. Planned Parenthood had sued David, National Abortion Federation sued David, and they were trying to claim that there was something wrong with the videos. And when push came to shove in court, they dropped that contention. In fact, even agreed that what was shown on the videos was what was actual, was the actual words of their employees. Uh, so, so there was no dispute about it, and. At the same time, too, uh, you know, the judge in the, in the civil case, that federal civil case, he wouldn't even let us show the videos, even though those were the subject of the lawsuit, and he wouldn't let us prove that baby parts had been sold uh, for profit, because we had proof of it. We, we had expert witnesses. We had all sorts of documents that we collected in discovery, and, and uh, as well that the United States Congress had collected as part of its investigation, uh, where, where the Congress concluded uh, as well that there had been baby parts sold for profit. Uh, but we were unable to even put that evidence in front of the jury, even though that's what the case was about. One other thing that really strikes me um, by the illegal taping law. Now, I understand that California is a two-party consent state, unlike many other states. But also, in my training as a journalist, the, uh, one of the big issues was expectation of privacy. And you don't have an expectation of privacy in a public area. Well, and, and that's the thing. We, we, through the criminal preliminary hearing process, there were, there were 15 counts to start with, and we got, but, you know, it was five of them thrown out. But uh, it was, if you actually look at it a little bit differently, there were four different settings where they were charging David and Sandra for illegal taping. And for two of the settings, the judge actually found, he said, look, there was no expectation of privacy at all uh, for two of the, the restaurant meetings. The third one... The judge acknowledged, he said, well, there were waiters there. They could clearly overhear it. It was conceded they could overhear it. Maybe there's something going on. Uh, maybe, maybe that's an issue for the jury. You know, there's weaknesses to the case, but it's an issue for the jury. Uh, and then, so that setting continued. But then there was a, another setting, the exhibit hall to an abortion convention, where there were over 800 abortion workers, abortionists, and others present. And... They, the, the judge allowed those, those counts to proceed, even though there was no attempt to somehow prove that the exhibit hall to a large convention uh, was in any way uh, somehow you, know, you were unable to be overheard. So in, in California, the, their, their, their critical word in their statute is, well, you may reasonably be overheard. And so the judge, though, didn't even try to apply that standard to the exhibit hall at the abortion convention. And the prosecutor didn't even try to prove it because they couldn't have. Uh, so we, you know, we're looking at this going, these charges really should not uh, proceed to trial. And we, are, we have appeal routes. And so we are in the process now of uh, the judge is going to set a hearing on the, the first level of appeal, which goes to another judge in the Superior Court. Uh, and so we will be filing papers in the next few weeks to appeal even the decision of probable cause uh, by this by the first judge uh, on those grounds. Uh, the fact that you, know, you really you can't have a reasonable expectation of privacy in the middle of a crowded exhibit hall. And certainly, just and because of what the judge himself saw uh, with that one remaining lunch meeting, uh, there's no reasonable expectation of privacy there. And so David and Sandra should not have to go to trial 
or again, continue to face the risk of 10 years in San Quentin uh, for things that, that are clearly not meritorious. I also seem to recall that there was a sign posted at the convention warning people that it may be recorded. That was one thing that, that came up uh, when we were we were doing our investigation and we're looking at, at uh, clips of, of David and uh, David's videos. I said, wait, you know, there's a sign here that, that, that does it. It was warning the participants, hey, by the way, uh, we may be filming you for the purposes of you know, promotion in future years. And so uh, you said there, you can't make this up, that somehow uh, you know, the, the, the participants have been warned. It's a crowded room. There are 800 of you there. You, everyone's got a cell phone on them. You cannot expect that to be a private setting. Uh, and, and certainly, you know, it, it wasn't, and it was something that, uh, that the law does. You, you, you can't uh, turn, uh, even if you said, well, you know, we, we only allowed certain people to run a meeting. Well, that's one thing. Uh, and maybe you've got a civil lawsuit against somebody. But you can't put someone in prison on felony counts based on your private contract agreement. Uh, so, really, those charges need to be thrown out. Uh, there's no way those should be able to proceed to trial. Well, there was also a, a case some years prior of undercover, undercover journalists who recorded and, uh, and with an animal rights case. And rather than being charged by the attorney general, they were praised. Well, the attorney general, so the, this was the thing. So I believe there was this animal rights group had actually found some real abuses happening. I don't know if it was a slaughterhouse or maybe a meat plant, something like that. The attorney general not only, yeah, they did, not only didn't prosecute them, she actually had a press conference with her, and that attorney general was Kamala Harris, former Democratic presidential candidate and a prominent senator, a United States senator. So she actually yeah, had the press conference with that group. And then when it was David Daleiden, though, she's sending 11 Department of Justice agents into his apartment to toss his little one-bedroom apartment to, to pull all of his computers and what have you. And, of course, we found out afterwards, you know, after our the discovery process in the criminal case, that Planned Parenthood's general counsel asked the attorney general to toss David's apartment, to put the search warrant there, to get his servers so they could see them, so that they could see what was on David Delight's servers. And that's just outrageous. Uh, so I, I, you know, we, we think we've got some great grounds for appeal, uh, again, both on the merits, but also on the collusion between the prosecutor and Planned Parenthood, uh, you know, improper collusion there uh, in pursuing this prosecution. Also, haven't we a case where Planned Parenthood and uh, National Abortion Federation have been heavy contributors to uh, these people, to their campaigns? Well, so, so there's a new attorney general. So when, when, when uh, Ms. Harris became the United States senator, they backfilled her position with a guy who was uh, top uh, Democratic leadership in the United States Congress, Javier Becerra. And Mr. Becerra, uh, when he, find, he had a stand for election, on election night, where he had his victory party, he was standing in front of a Planned Parenthood banner. They paid for the whole thing, and he thanked them profusely uh, during his uh, acceptance speech of his, you know, his victory. And at the same time, he's prosecuting David and Sandra at their request. And he doesn't think that's in any way a conflict of interest. Uh, an honest prosecutor would say, Look, I'm too closely tied to the alleged victims in this uh, this particular prosecution. I'm going to let somebody else prosecute it, or I'm going to have a special prosecutor in my office so that there's no political taint to this prosecution. 
That's what an honest prosecutor in a regular case would do. Here, of course, well, is there no recusal? We're still having meetings with Planned Parenthood and their CEO. So with the various CEOs in California, the California Planned Parenthood, it's outrageous. Any neutral person who looks this over is disgusting. The neutral attorneys, neutral judges. But at the same time, I mean, we're stuck. We're, now we're in San Francisco. Uh, we're having to fight very, very hard against uh, against a hostile legal environment. And, and where Planned Parenthood really uh, is the, the political powerhouse of many and many in that city. So and we are fighting very hard on this. And we're looking forward to getting a neutral arbiter at some point to help us to to throw out the rest of these counts. Over and above the criminal charges of the uh, 10 years in prison that the uh, that they're calling for, something else is uh, is in the works that I've never even heard of before, where they want to forbid them from ever doing undercover journalism work again, and then have the video files that many of them, which are already publicly available, permanently removed. Well, I, and this is the thing for, for your listeners, the, the Planned Parenthood, uh, when, when David released his videos, this is July of 2015, and he was releasing them every week, he absolutely set Planned Parenthood back on those heels, put them to their knees. You know, congressional investigation started the next day after that first video came out. He had them really on the ropes. They were infuriated. And so this entire machine of Planned Parenthood has now it, it responded in great force. So we have this criminal this criminal case, which is another criminal case in Texas that we had thrown up. Two federal civil rights, uh, I'm sorry, two federal RICO conspiracy lawsuits. Uh, and so as part of the federal lawsuits, that's where Planned Parenthood and the National Abortion Federation are looking for permanent injunctions against David, along with millions of dollars in damages and what have you. But an injunction against David Delighton uh, from ever doing undercover work, he or anyone he ever retains or consults with or works with. And the Center for Medical Progress, of course, which is an organization that exists to do uh, this undercover work, uh, that is what they're seeking, a permanent injunction. So you would essentially take the one of our nation's premier undercover journalists, the undercover journalist of the generation, and forbid him from doing his incredible work of informing the public of the misdeeds of the abortion industry. Hey, this is a this is a a national travesty that they're even that they even believe they can get such an injunction. Were it to issue, I mean, it'd be a grave violation of the First Amendment, and also, but again, not not just for David's rights, but for we the people who have a right to know what is going on with these government contractors uh, who who are doing very bad things, illegal things. We the people have a right to know and have a right to then respond with our elected officials. So you know, again, that that is being litigated right now. We're going to have word on that. We believe uh, in the next few weeks uh, we're going to get a ruling from the judge on that front. Uh, we're, we're hopeful that the judge will uh, will deny the injunction. But uh, we've had a lot of bad rulings uh, out of our uh, out of the judge in the civil case, the federal civil case in San Francisco. You know, that was the judge that had uh, it had been on a board of directors of a not for profit that gave Planned a free office uh, at their not for profit. Uh, when it was prior to him taking the bench. Uh, so you know, again, we're we're. We've, we've had some tough rulings from that particular jurist, and uh, which we're going to be up on appeal with soon. I have never heard of an instance of a court telling a reporter he can, he or she can no longer can, can no longer work in their profession. I've never heard of that. 
Well, I, I, it, it, that's, it, it is an incredible, just a thought, even that you could do this to somebody. And it's not just, you're not just a person not being able to practice their profession, but it's a profession that is mentioned in the First Amendment. Now, the freedom of the press is right there, right up front. And it's also tied with the freedom of speech, which is a right of the people also to, to understand and, and govern themselves. Uh, so you've got numerous grave uh, issues of constitutional law there uh, and, and public policy of uh, trying to stop David Delight. And again, one of the most effective and, and wonderful public servant and journalist uh, of a genera- of the generation. And to stop him, it's unthinkable. Um, and really, here's the other thing. In the blue states, you know, and I, hate, I hate to say red team, blue team, you know, a Republican versus Democrat. But in these states where Planned Parenthood absolutely controls the political structure, the only way you're going to ever have any justice done for the misdeeds of Planned Parenthood is citizen journalism, uh, where they, folks go undercover, they, they document their findings, and then they reveal them to the public. Javier Becerra is not going to investigate Planned Parenthood when they're paying for his election night victory party, and they get and you know, attributes his election to their intervention. Uh, so again, this is the only way for people in California—55 you know, million people in that state—the only way Planned Parenthood can ever be brought to justice in California is through citizen journalism. Well, right now it's in the hands of the state courts, both the civil and the uh, and the. Uh Excuse me, both the civil and the criminal case, if I'm not mistaken. Although you did, did mention, I'm okay. sorry, the civil case is, is federal. I beg your pardon. Right. It, it is very confusing. And, I, and I'll tell you, this is something your listeners to, to understand. That the Planned Parenthood is using a multifaceted litigation strategy that is costing millions of dollars in attorney time and, and hundreds of thousands of pages of documents flying back and forth. We have over a thousand docket entries in just just one of the federal civil cases, and then many, many hundreds in the other. We've gone up on appeal multiple times. You know, they, what they're trying to do is is not merely to get injunctions, bankrupt, and destroy David uh, David and his team's lives. But they want to make sure no one ever does this again by, by just, just absolutely avalanching us with litigation. So that's why we've been fighting so hard. I mean, we will not give them an inch. Uh, at any point. But yes, it, this is very broad-ranging uh, and, and, and very intense litigation. Two federal cases, one state uh, criminal case. So we will go on the state side, this criminal uh, criminal charges, we're going to be going an appeal to another judge in the Superior Court. We would then go up to California Appellate Court if we need to, and then to the California Supreme Court, if necessary, uh, before uh, before any trial would pursue. So we we still have many avenues of appeal, which we think are very meritorious, um, and, and we're looking forward to fighting on that. On the, on the federal side, we go up to the Ninth Circuit next, uh, after we get a ruling on this injunction. And the Ninth Circuit, of course, is a much different court than it was four years ago before President Trump, who has appointed many, many new fine judges to that circuit. So we are hoping to get a good, a good fair shake there. If we don't, uh, then we'll go up to the U.S. Supreme Court. Uh, and and we do we, we're very hopeful that we're going to be able to get this uh, the jury verdict in the civil case overturned and any injunction vacated. It seems to me also with the criminal case, there are some serious federal issues involved, some constitutional issues involved. Is there a role for the federal government in or the federal judiciary, I should say, in the criminal case? 
I mean, if you carry well, it all the way up. If we, right. If we do have to go that way, there are, there are a couple of issues. Number one is, of course, the, uh, the prosecutor being so tied in with Planned Parenthood that uh, he is not a neutral prosecutor. Uh, that is a thought. Too. That's a big-time constitutional rights issue, that you have a right to a neutral prosecutor when you're being charged with a crime. Uh, as well, uh, the issues of uh, whether the taping in absolute public can be uh, made illegal, especially when it's being done for a journalistic purpose. You know, David and Sandra are the only people in the history of the state of California who have ever been charged with uh, illegal taping who, are, who did so in a journalism context. Uh, so there, there's there's some real issues there, and, and obviously they were they were charged because they were doing pro-life journalism, not because of uh, they're actually doing anything wrong. So there there could be some issues. We've got to develop them further with more discovery and uh, and going through the trial process. You know, right now we are just we're just hitting them on the merits right now in terms of the defense uh, against the um, uh, the criminal charges. We we have raised for the court the issues of the the uh, the fact that the prosecutors biased. Uh, so, you know, we, we've got we've got issues that could, in theory, go up to the U.S. Supreme Court, even in the criminal case. But again, we're, we're hoping to get more, we're hoping to get a little better justice out of the, uh, the California appellate system, uh, which uh, let, let me say this. Kip, you know, it, it, sometimes uh, you uh, and a lot of times in pro-life cases, the trial court is a hostile place to be. It's just tough to be there. And up in the thin air of the appellate courts and the Supreme Court's. That's where you get folks saying, you know, we, we just we can't let this sort of precedent stand. And so that's where we, we oftentimes have to win cases. Uh, we preserve our issues for appeal and then we get those decisions, you know, get poor decisions uh, over overturned. And uh, and usually, again, hopefully to vindicate these very, very serious rights that are at risk uh, with uh, with some of these trial court decisions. Well, I think this uh, should frighten every person who's involved in the pro-life movement and maybe give us some hope as well. Mr. Breen, I want to thank you very much for appearing on the program with me, and uh, we will definitely be in touch as this as this case goes through the uh, the system. Sure, and folks can keep up with us on at thomasmoresociety.org. Moore is with one O, thomasmoresociety.org, and there's lots of updates there for folks. And also over at the Center for uh, Medical Progress at their website, uh, the videos are that have been released are available for watching. Absolutely. Folks should watch those again and again and get them to your friends so that you remember the terrible, terrible things that were done and the real revelations that David and his team were able to, uh, to make. Thank you very much, sir. World Lutheran News Digest may be heard every Wednesday at 2.30 p.m. and again at 9.30 a.m. Saturday Central Time on Worldwide KFUO. It may also be heard anytime streaming online at kfuo.org. Join us again next Wednesday for another new edition of World Lutheran News Digest. I'm your host, Kip Allen. World Lutheran News Digest is a broadcast ministry of the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. WLN Digest is produced through the facilities of Worldwide KFUO. You can also listen to WLN Digest on demand at kfuo.org. To correspond with World Lutheran News Digest, email news at kfuo.org.